Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 96, only four away from episode 100 of the Still City Insider podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jeremy Ritz, alongside Mr. Jim Wexel, and we are very excited today because we have Roy Countryman with us, uh, our resident Steelers draft expert. So we're going to talk all things Steelers draft, but quickly, Roy, how are you? Jim, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on, Jim. It's good to see you. Uh, I'm glad we're into the Super Bowl week coming here, and then we're jumping in the off season. Yes, we are, and I'm uh, about ready to get uh, down there to the combine and um, begin my draft coverage. Roy, you're you're handling it for now, so we're going to talk draft with you today. All right, sounds good, Jim. You know I can always talk ball. I know. Awesome, awesome. So it's going to be a fun episode, and we will talk about the Taylor Bowl. I, I mean, Super Bowl. At the end of the show, but let's start by talking about uh, the Steelers. Jeremy, are you a hater? I'm not a hater. I like I like Taylor Swift. Okay, okay, go ahead. Cheesy. Never mind. Oh, geez. <laughs> Correct myself there. Anyway, so let's start here. We're talking about the Steelers coaching staff. They make a change at the uh, wide receiver coaching position with Frisman Jackson being uh, relieved of his duties, um, and a former. Steelers great wide receiver being rumored is a potential replacement there. Let's talk about that coaching change. I'd love to see Hines Ward get it. Uh, only because I know Hines. I could talk to Hines. I like Hines. Um, you know, they want to instill toughness in those receivers, but I don't know what else is out there. You know, I, if I could ever Antoine Randall, well, I'd take him, but he's not going to make a lateral move from a, a world-class contending team like the Lions. So I don't know if there are any young guys that are uh, proving themselves with as wide receivers coach. Maybe Roy, you, maybe you know any. Yeah, if if I was going to swing for one, uh, a young up and comer, I'd go back to the college ranks. I'd look at a guy that just coached the pit not long ago, Brendan Marion, the receiver coach, while he was there with Kenny Pickett. Um, he's a great offensive mind. He's the OC at UNLV right now. Uh, I think he'd be a guy that maybe you know, some up and coming ideas to fit under a guy like Arthur Smith that has experience play calling. He can cut his teeth, but I, I really like the fit of Heinz Ward though, with the experience and being able to hold accountability to some of these guys here. You know, when the Steelers, uh, th these former players come to the Steelers often and ask if they can get into coaching for them. And they say, go coach. I don't care where somewhere, Joey Porter, go coach, volunteer to coach outside linebackers at Colorado state for a year. And when Hines didn't get, I forget which time he didn't get it. He had come to camp and mentored Juju's, Juju's rookie year and really instilled some toughness into Juju, took him on as his project. And we saw how Juju developed. Um, but um, I, and then Hines didn't get the next job and he ended up at like Florida Atlantic. Was it Florida Atlantic? Yeah, he was so, the. I thought that was more of the case of the Steelers telling him, go coach, just go coach somewhere first. Mm -hmm. And so and then he ended up at the XFL. I heard he had the worst team in the XFL, but that doesn't bother me. I, I mean, anybody could get saddled with a really bad team in a really bad league, and it wasn't his fault. I mean, he could still coach wide receivers for me. So uh, that that's where I think they are with Heinz Ward. I don't think he's fallen out of favor with the organization. I think they just told him to go coach somewhere, and he did. As far as the XFL, Jim, uh, I watched a lot of that league. He, the team just simply didn't have a quarterback. They're well-coached, well-prepared team. So going for, from a head coaching position now to a positional coach, 
it's definitely with his resume he has. I think he's he could definitely have a chance. So you're saying he'll fit in here without a quarterback? <laughs> Quite possibly. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. So here's a, here's a question for you both. Does Heinz Ward have a greater chance of becoming the Steelers wide receivers coach or becoming a member of the Hall of Fame? I'd put them both about even. So I, I don't think he's going to get in the Hall of Fame, and it's a difficult call to say uh, one particular assistant coach is going to be given the position coach. But, I mean, he's good enough to, and he's logical. So that gives him an outside chance. I, I, I think, you know, he's got a B to B plus chance in each of them. And mm-hmm. Neither of them are A's, but uh, got a chance. Yeah, I'm along the same lines as Jim there, Jeremy. Uh, I think he's going to have to wait still for the hall, but I think he might have a better chance of getting this positional coach job. I mean, we're not talking about a passing game coordinator position or an OC. It's a wide receiver coaching position. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, so definitely something we'll be we'll be watching for the outcome there. What's going to happen to fill that position? But Jim, any other assistants that we should keep an eye on in terms of them being shipped out? Somebody new coming in? I I really don't. I mean, they're going to have to name a quarterbacks coach. Um, my understanding is that um, Sully's not coming back. Um, so they would need a quarterbacks coach, and you would think maybe that would be an expensive quarterbacks coach who can also be your quote-unquote pass game coordinator hey maybe that's what they'll do at the wide receiver position and 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 then get a young kid to coach quarterbacks i, I don't know but uh I, I think those are the only positions I, they like their d-line coach they like their inside linebacker coach really did a good job last year um yeah outside linebacker coach I I don't know if he's doing a good job but those guys can really play so the outside linebackers are fine I like Grady Brown in the secondary so all you're doing is looking at a couple maybe assistants and the assistant strength coach needs replaced too just minor roles like that but uh the only position I I see is uh the pass game coordinator slash quarterbacks coach is is Eddie Faulkner coming back Jim I assume he is I mean, he was well-liked, and they liked what he was doing enough to uh, give him that half promotion last year and give him a lot of responsibility. I was hoping so. I thought he did well being in that you know timeshare with, with Sully there, uh, calling the plays and coming up with the uh, program going forward there at the end of the season. So And running backs did well. Yeah. I mean, you can't give them natural speed, but they, they did. They, they all they could they could play three downs, both yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as far as quarterbacks uh, coaches, um, a guy I'd throw out there is Charles London. He's worked with Arthur Smith. He was, uh, I believe, a part of his staff there in the Falcons. Um, he has some experience with working with QBs throughout the throughout his time here in the NFL. Good stuff, Roy. Yeah, well, we'll be keeping an eye on all of that. But the real reason that you're here today, it is February. It's the month of the NFL Combine, and we're going to start talking about prospects. If you haven't had a chance to read it yet, Roy put together a great piece on senior bowl standouts that just concluded here uh, toward the end of last week. But Roy, do you want to talk about who stood out at the senior bowl? I know that Tomlin was there as long as some other members of the Steelers coaching staff, but uh, let's jump in. Yeah, absolutely. There's There was a few uh, blue chippers that really shined. Um, one of the guys that's been talked about a lot is the this year's version of the JPJ, Jackson Powers Johnson, the pivot man from Oregon. This guy just looked like he was on a different level compared to some of the other offensive linemen. Being able to set his anchor, quick feet, get out in space, the agility, 
uh, hand usage. He looks like the total package here. He did have to leave early uh, because of a hamstring injury. He didn't get to play in the game. Uh, but this guy's a plug-and-play uh, starter day one. Um, he is right in line with what the Steelers look for in an underclassman, um, younger guy that they can help develop. And, you know, you look throughout the last successful uh, iterations of our offensive lines, we've always had that staunch center that you can depend upon. And he was a guy that really flashed. And I wish his uh, counterpart, Zach Frazier, who is going toe-to-toe for the first center here, could have had a chance. But due to his broken leg, he wasn't out there outside of some snaps uh, before practice with some of the quarterbacks. So that was one of the guys that really flashed for me there uh, that really put on some big um, big tape, and his stock is really surging after the senior bowl. Uh, a couple other guys, Tyler Guyton. Uh, Mike Tomlin was very keen on a lot of his reps early in the week uh, before he started congregating to the defensive side. This guy has length for days. He's a former tight end for TCU that transferred to Oklahoma and bulked up and started at right tackle. Uh, would be an excellent foundational piece there as well. If you want to go for that positional value route in the first round of a Guyton over maybe a center uh, in the Jackson Powers Johnson there at pick 20, he's another guy that he didn't win, he didn't lose a lot of reps uh, to guys outside of maybe some hand usage um, refinement. He's a pretty well plug and play right tackle that can start year one as well. Um, okay, Let, let's unpack those three guys. Um, the center, JPJ. We already have a JPJ. I know him as Joey Porter Jr. So this new guy, I don't know the hyphens and which name is the first name, which name's the last. I'm going with JPJ with this guy. Now, uh, you say he can plug and play. Is Mason Cole need replaced in the first day the way Justin Hartwig did when Marquise Pouncey came along? Oh, I mean, I'll let you marinate with that one. Uh, it's kind of rhetoric because uh, uh, rhetorical because I remember that first week uh, Pouncey was going to become the first center since like 1956 to start the opener for the Steelers as a rookie. And I rem- I'm and I, and I had done stories. Why is it so hard? And the center's got to think a lot. Center's got to know everything. And I approached Marquise. If either of you guys have ever interviewed Marquise, but he's really for he's really gregarious, really fun, easy to talk to. But not that week. Hey, Marquise, you got a minute? Oh man, no, I don't. I got I got a thousand things on my mind, and his face said, "I got to get into the playbook. I don't know what I'm doing. I got to start this opener." So, I, I mean, Justin Hartwig was released, and Pouncey played. He played so well in the preseason, but man, he was a nervous wreck going up to that. And he's one of the smart guys. So, I don't know if if any rookie is going to be ready to play center. And I, I, you say plug and play on day one. And they have a backup guard. I don't see them changing their guards. We're playing well at the end of the year. So I, I, I'm, I just see, and I could see them picking him at 20. I could too. Yeah. yeah we're, we're one of the few franchises that value that position more than others. A lot of times you look at other franchises, they don't value centers in the first round. Just the same way as some other teams don't pick running backs in the first round. We took a running back in the first round not long ago. Well, in in theory, you can get them cheaper in free agency, right. and you can draft your offensive tackles and cornerbacks and quarterbacks in the first round because you can't you can't afford them in free agency. Absolutely, and that so, fits, fits along the lines here, being he's one of the underclassmen. The way Steelers historically have leaned that way, so in the second contract, if they pan out, they're able to keep these guys for longer periods. 
Uh, the only caveat I'd throw at you, Jim, there is I'm not sure is Mason Cole going to survive the offseason with the cap uh, hit of almost – they can save almost $5 million, uh, if they release in this offseason. That's the thing. We're really up in the air yet. We're not sure. I mean, if Cole's still on the roster, then, yeah, we'd, we'd pull the Broderick Jones experience and you ease him in and you don't overwhelm him because you're looking at big picture. But if not, you might not have Cole on the roster depending on your other decisions you're going to make for free. They didn't have to cut Hartwig. Uh, because of money early. I mean, they cut him in camp. Yeah. yeah maybe money played a little factor in there, but uh, $5 million th- that, that could, that could send him packing. Um, and the tackle. Right. Oh, wait a minute. I wanted to ask you about Frazier, uh, the okay. WVU center. Now it's a broken leg and he's down there snapping and showing up and talking and very gregarious guy. And, doing all the right things. And he's a four-time heavyweight wrestling champ. Is that in the state of West Virginia or Pennsylvania? West Virginia. Okay. All right. Yep. That's still great. Yep. But it ain't wrestling in Pennsylvania. Sure. If yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's like going to Iowa. If you're a four-time yeah. champ out of the state right. of Iowa. Yeah, you're a big dog then. You can. <laughs> I, I don't know enough about w, West Virginia wrestling. So, you know, don't at me on this. But I just do know Pennsylvania is elite. Yeah. So I was wondering where he grew up. Well, and Zach Frazier, the thing with him is, all I got to tell you is the clip of him breaking, I believe it was his fibula that they broke in his final series of his final regular season game at West Virginia. Ah. I love centers that are gritty. And he crawled off the field so that they wouldn't take a 10-second runoff on their last drive to try to come back. So he's trying to literally crawl off the field with a broken leg just to help his teammates out. And now he's showing up. I believe it's nine weeks out post uh, setting the bone. I don't believe he had surgery on it. Um, he were, He's working out with, I believe, the offensive masterminds. He's out there already training. He's been running on a treadmill. That's why he's saying like he's cleared to do some of the stuff probably at the combine. He might not do all of it. Um, it's He's going to be able to be acclimated quick here. This isn't a long-term injury that we have to worry about with the fibula. It's just that we might be able to get him at a discount per se because of missing out on these opportunities to see his stock boost, not being able to perform at the senior bowl against a a guy like Jackson powers, Johnson, you might be able to get him in the second round, but that dude is, he's a hardcore guy. He's a warrior mentality mentality there at the pivot. I I get about, I get the part about getting him cheap, but how cheap can you get him in the second round? Yeah. Teams, Teams don't value the position. I mean, that's why an interior offensive line in in to, in totality. Look at how Dave DeCastro dropped. Yep. And he was he was considered the god the god of the inside game that year, and he went to I believe twenty fourth. So I can see either JPJ falling, but will Frazier fall to the second round? I mean, you paint a great picture of him, and it's not that it's not an ACL. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would have to, it would have to be that pick at 51 or a slight move up in the second round, depending upon how things shake out in the first round. If JPJ gets selected in that 20 to 25 range, you might have to move up to that early portion of day two to make sure you secure your center that you want. Now, there is still guys like Graham Barton, who's a tackle at Duke. That's also, he played his first year as a center. He's a high quality player, but you're also projected back inside now after only after starting three years out at left tackle. Um, you know, Max Starks told me about him. Max loves him. Yeah, he's a, and he's I a, figure he's from Duke. He's he's got to be smart, right? Smart enough to handle the center position. 
Absolutely. And like I said, he did it as a freshman. He started as a freshman as the center at Duke. And and then you have a guy like uh, Cedric Von Prawn, who was the teammate of uh, Broderick Jones down in Georgia. So you have Cedric, some depth here. Cedric Von Prawn. How do you spell that now? <laughs> well, it's it's actually <laughs> the longer. It's actually even longer than that. It's Von Prawn Granger. It just keeps adding. It's like Fumatu Mafala. Hmm. I, I, I can't keep up with it. So I always just call him Von Prawn. Uh, but he's kind of behind those three guys just because he doesn't have the length of those other three guys ahead of him. But he was down there mulling people in the SEC for three years as a starter. Um, so okay, you have- let's hit let's hit the tackle, Jeremy. You probably got questions. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm no, no, this. Jim. I just wanted to say, you know, I hope they draft that guy because I would just, you know, be interested in what your nickname for him would be. So I'm going to make note of him. Which guy, Von Prawn? Von Prawn <laughs> Granger. Is that like, is he like a count? Is that three names? <laughs> He's got to yeah. be getting close here now. I don't know. We'll have to ask Broderick about him if he ever becomes a Steeler. What what went on there? Well, the, the problem I have at tackle is uh, I think they're going to start more and Broderick. And more can't play the right side. So I think people should settle down on moving Broderick right away. Marvell Smith stayed at right tackle for three years before he made the move back to his natural left tackle position and became a Super Bowl uh, a caliber uh, Super Bowl player, championship player. So um, they do, if they do cut Chooks, as we all expect because of his salary cap number, they're going to need a number three. And I think they're going to want to have that open number three to force them into drafting a tackle. They're going to have to, but they can also get one in the second round. Isn't this a deep tackle crop? Because second round allows you now to Leave him as the number three most of the year until needed, until needed. Uh, maybe maybe a guy like Dylan Cook passes him up to be the number three. Hey, great. That means Dylan Cook's coming along. But um, I think I, – I, I really can't see him drafting a, a first-round tackle again because look at all the heat that was on Broderick and the coaching staff to play him last year. I don't think they, they really want that with the tackles they have. I know everybody wants it, but – I don't. I don't see them moving that early either. They're not going to want to move Broderick over to left tackle and put the kid at right tackle when Dan Moore, after he plays four games and they make the move, they're not going to want to upset the apple cart like that. So, uh, is it a good strong tackle crop? Can you get one in the second, third round? Oh, absolutely, Jim. This is one of the strongest tackle classes I've ever seen since I started scouting. Um, there's going to be guys probably in round three and maybe even round four that could come in and start for a team uh there's guys that you won't want starting day one uh and that's even the guy that i just discussed here tyler guyton i wouldn't want him starting day one like i was talking about with powers johnson but the upside is there to be an all pro with his athleticism in the background and just he needs more refinement technique wise and when you get him in that situation where you can nurture him and sit him behind, let Broderick get right and Dan Moore at left for the first, you know, season or maybe even half season, depending on how things shake out. I think the ceiling would definitely be able to be reached there with the NFL coaching. But you have guys that have 50, 60 starts here. You know, there's a guy from Texas and Christian Jones that played both left and right tackle. And he put on a show down in Mobile as well, shut down a lot of the pass rushers at right tackle there. Even got, I think, a couple snaps at right guard in the one-on-ones. He looked dominant. Um, big, long guy, big and strong. You could probably get him in the late second, maybe third round, just because of the depth that we have here. The, this class is full of receivers and tackles, and you're going to see these guys dropping just because 
there's such a dearth of, of people there that you can really weigh what what position do you want to take in the first round that's why if you're if you want to value the Jackson Powers and uh, Johnston in the first round and then grab your tackle in the second that'd be good if you want to grab your tackle okay. with a higher ceiling and then grab your pivot man the second okay uh, Jeremy you know there's another uh, just gaping hole you want to ask Roy about that position Are yes gonna... it's my favorite position well it, favorite it, it might be off I always bring it up. What's so, the gape, where's the gaping hole? I think the gaping hole is in the the interior uh, linebacker position, inside linebacker. But for as deep as the rest of this draft class is, from what what I've done in just my preliminary research, this isn't a strong class for inside backers. Jim, maybe you had another position in mind, but I think back to Ryan Shazier, James Ferrier, where those defenses were stout and and elite. We don't have that, and no. not to say that you know. The, um, Wow, I can't remember his name. Who we brought in this year? Um, Cole Holcomb. Landon Roberts was very Landon good. Roberts, very good. I think right. that was a find. Yes, but what's out there, Roy? Inside back, or is it just not there this year? Inside linebackers are really. It's kind of an up in the air position. I don't. I don't really have a guy first round caliber. There's one guy I really like. His name's Peyton Wilson from NC State. Uh, when I see him now. Mind you, this is going to be a bad comparison, but just as, as far as work ethic and ferocity on the field, he has that Nate Herbig, TJ Watt-esque, like just frenetic energy, but he's had four different injuries. He's had two shoulder injuries, two ACLs, like, ah. but when he's on the field, he is an absolute monster. Um, you might be able to get him in the second, third round, depending on medicals, maybe even later, later depending on the teams, if they disqualify him for the medicals. Um, you have a guy like Jeremiah Trotter Jr. His dad was a longtime linebacker for the Eagles, quality player out of Clemson. And those are probably my two guys at the top of the class. And you're talking about guys maybe in the second, third round. Um, so you're looking more at that value pick, maybe get a guy later that has some measurables you like and maybe a couple intangibles and let him work behind those guys you just talked about. I thought the Alandon Roberts and Holcomb signing were home runs. It's just the injury bug killed them. Yeah, but I don't know that you can count on Holcomb coming back. as a pretty serious injury. Uh, and th I, they probably will because he's due a lot of money and they liked him. So they're not going to give up easily on him. And I don't know that they're going to be drafting too early either. That's another position that they're probably throwing their hands up in the air at their bad luck in the draft. And you can you can get those guys in, in free agency. And I'll, and I'll give you like a more important position, in my opinion. Go ahead. What, what were you going to say? The only thing I wanted to say, Jim, is Keep an eye on free agency for that. I think a guy like Isaiah Simmons is the former first-round pick. He got traded to the Giants. Had a pretty good season, but he didn't start because they had two guys already there. That might be an under-the-radar guy they could bring in to be able to buoy the situation until Holcomb's able to come back. Well, their secondary really is a mess, but it's got the potential. You know, with Minka and JPJ there, they need a guy on the other side, and if you still have Patrick Peterson around, perfect time to get another kid in to to learn under Peterson. He's just he's a font of information and wisdom and patience, and he's a real teacher. Uh, he's a he's a really good dude, and um, I would like to see them get a corner. Are there any first round corners at pick twenty? Yeah, pick twenty. There's a couple guys that will rise above where we can get in, so I'm not going to mention them. But Quinion Mitchell, the guy from Toledo, we've had good experiences. The Steelers have it, being able to pluck guys from there. 
and be quality producers like Deontay. Uh, Quinion Mitchell came in. Um, he was among the uh, college football pass defense leaders in the last three years. Um, great at the catch point, has good height, good length. Um, he really stuck on the receiver's hip pocket the entire uh, practice periods here. Uh, really was disruptive and really felt like he took that step forward and saying the competition doesn't matter. Um, that was the biggest question in scout size coming into Mobile was he played at a smaller conference. Is he able to match up with these guys in the SEC and the Big Ten? It didn't look no different than what the other teams that he was playing. So that guy really answered the bell for me. He's going to be moving up my big board here. The next update I have, I really think he's a top 20, 25 player. Uh, with that production he had at Toledo, I think he could be a high quality ad in the first round at, at pick 20 there. Let me give you a, a little hint here about uh, uh, from Mike Tomlin. Don't tell anybody, okay? This <laughs> is between us. Yeah, I won't say nothing. Last year at a media dinner, we were, you know, we talked, we shoot the shoot the shit with uh, Coach Tomlin. He sits down with us, and uh, we got around to talking to the Iowa Pro Day. I asked him what Jack Campbell was really like. He was raving about Campbell. He said uh, he is the he was the alpha of that group. Nobody at that table spoke unless Jack gave him the go ahead. I don't know how that happened, but that that was Jack Campbell and. Um, then Tomlin started raving about Cooper Dijon. Dijon or Dijon? Dijon. Dijon. Yeah, like mustard. <laughs> I mean, he was raving about him. And, you know, he, he can rave about him then back in July, right? Yeah. But some of us remember. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know about you, Jeremy, but would you like to see two real first-round dogs playing cornerback? Oh, yeah. I know can't figure out who's going to follow the uh, the top receiver that you're facing that day, but I think that's a good problem. Be a great problem. Be a great yeah. problem. And he's already he already know what he looks like in black and gold. Being he's in Iowa, there exactly. That was my point with George Kittle years ago. George Kittle didn't want to play that game with me at the combine. Remember, remember what's Kittle or Kittles? Now I'm losing it. Kittle, <laughs> it's Kittle. Kittle, and it's. At, and Dijon, Jim, he is a former quarterback in high school from a small town uh, and an absolute astonishing athlete. He's going to test out of this world at the NFL Combine. Uh, really a, a self-made player and kind of pull-up-your-bootstraps kind of kid. Um, I, I'm not really, especially in his fluidity, but as far as ball skills and instincts, he's always around the ball. He's always making plays. He's not afraid to get dirty and run support. And for the Steelers system, I think he'd be a great fit, uh, especially with uh, we have Minka over the top. Who needs to be that fluid coming out of the gate? He can get press. He's not afraid. He's a pretty big guy. He's not afraid to get physical up the line of scrimmage. Uh, but he has the athleticism there, too, that you look for in, in a first-round corner. Awesome. Well, Roy, that, that's just tremendous stuff, and hopefully we can get you back on here again as we move through the offseason here. But, Jim, just to, to bring us home, it's the uh, – it's the Super Bowl. Yay. <laughs> Why are you so snarky? Don't I mean don't aren't you going to a party at least? No, I don't I I don't I'm rooting for the asteroid. I don't want either team to win. <laughs> well, you know, Super Bowl parties are fun because women like commercials and Taylor Swift and halftime shows and Taylor Swift and you know, so uh, you know, it's 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 good. Those are good parties, and you uh -huh. can eat good food, right? Come on, yeah. man. Yeah, you, you can't you can't do this. Don't 
the Steelers are going to win the Super Bowl next year. Don't worry. It'll be, they'll have their seven soon enough. From, from your, your mouth to God's ears, right? <laughs> well, here's what I got. I love handicapping the Super Bowl. I love to take the common opponents. For whatever reason, I've had a lot of success over the years. But this matchup is dead even. They had seven opponents, these two. Both of them went four and three against them. At the lines of scrimmage, the Chiefs are plus 0.4. They rush for 4.5 and allow 4.1 against these seven opponents. The San Francisco 49ers, the same thing. Zero. Uh, it's a zero. It's a. It's an exact tie at the line. Both lines of scrimmage. Defensive pass. Uh, the yard per completion. I always look at uh, the Chiefs ten point eight. 49ers ten point six. And then finally yards per point. The scoring efficiency dead even. Dead even. I've never. I've never handicapped a game where it's so dead even. And so I got to lean to the Chiefs plus the points. I mean, get, you get two only two points, but. Whenever it comes up like this, so dead even, I'll, get, I'll take the two points. Not that I'm in love with that pick, but I, I'm I'm more in love with the fact how even this is. It's really it should be a great game, Jeremy. Come on, man. I hope you watch it. No, I mean I'll watch it. I'll be I'll be pissed off the whole time because we should have beat the Bills. You made a run. <laughs> you anyway. wish it was Monday. Well, you'll be like the only guy in America that wishes it was Monday and you were at work. Well, yeah, well. I, I don't, I basically don't work anymore. So I, I won't wish I'm at work, but uh, I gotta, I gotta pull for the, I gotta pull for the chiefs because I don't, I don't want San Francisco joining, uh, joining that territory that we're kind of holding down there with, you know, a couple other teams, but I, as much as I don't want to, I, I got, I'm, I'm a chiefs fan, sadly. Okay. So you'll root my bet home. I will root a your bet. Small, a small one that, that it will be. Yes. Yes. Yep. How about Roy? Who do you got? I'm I'm taking the Chiefs as well. I think that defense is slept on. Uh, Chris Jones and even Justin Reed out back and Lajarius Sneed. Uh, I think they have the weapons to shut San Francisco down. I'm not a big Purdy believer, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the quarterback matchups. I'm always going to take Mahomes over Brock Purdy. So I could yeah. be eating my words, but we'll see. Okay. Here, here's another handicapping method. When you get the media together and all of them agree on one side, go with the other side. (laughs) Always. Yeah. Well, I do remember back to the home opener in Pittsburgh this year when we played the Niners and I was at that game. And remember at the end end of the game, the Niners fans just dominated Akershore Stadium and they were chanting, let's go Niners. I was pretty pissed off about that. So yeah, I'm I'm doubling down. You've been pissed off ever since. I have been. (laughs) So party, I hope you get sacked eight times. And (laughs) Isaiah Pacheco runs all over you. So that's it. And that's going to do it for episode number 97. (laughs) The Still City Insider podcast. Uh, Roy, where can we check out your work? Uh, Twitter handle, social media, so uh, people can check out all the great stuff you're doing. Sure. The Twitter handle is at Preacher Boy Roy. Um, you can check out my website, prospectencyclopedia.com. It's where I have my draft content, the big boards, and 
all that and whatnot. I actually have an off-season database so you can keep track of all your free agency moves and and coaching moves and all all the stuff like that that you want to. And as always, twenty four seven sports, Steel City Insider. Jim lets me do the the draft stuff, so that's always fun when I get to do that. And I have a mock draft coming out here in the next uh, couple of days. Yeah, so. I saw that in my queue. I didn't open it yet. I I didn't want to ruin our show. I didn't know if you, it, it'll be interesting to see now after I talk to you who you're going to have as the first round pick for the Steelers. Yeah, we'll have that tomorrow. Uh, the seven rounder, I believe. You yep. have that? Yep, I have the full that's, seven rounds of them. That's the kind of mock that I like. I I really don't care who the Falcons are picking. I mean, awesome. yep, all Steelers seven picks that they have. There you go. So. There you go, Jim. Anything that you want to? Well, I, I'm just working on my sixth book, The History of the Steelers. I just wrote the, the passing of the Chiefs, so I'm up to 1989. Wow. And I got I got till March 15th. Okay. So, and, and it's it's going to be like a coffee table book. Uh, it's big pictures. This, this publishing house called me and asked me, you know, and I pick the pictures out and then I write little vignettes. Oh, but nice. It should be really, I, I, I like how the writing has gone because I've read, I mean, I'm stealing out of the best books. You know, <laughs> this is the Chuck Noll biography. Yeah. I got the chief biography. I got Cordell Stewart's biography. I read them all last year and I yeah. took notes of interesting stuff because I, I didn't know what I wanted to write next. Yeah. But then they called and said, hey, do you know, do you have any notes on the history of the Steelers? I said, in fact, I do. Does Jim so have notes? I, I'm easing through. I'm, I'm, I'm giving credit to these great books. And I think everybody should know that the Chuck Noll biography is incredible. The, the, the chief biography is incredible. Um, I like Brian Shazier's book. I like Jerome Bettis's book. I like Bill Cowher's book. I like uh, Cordell Stewart's book. I've read a lot, and so I'm ready for all this. Uh, I, hopefully, I can uh, squeeze about four or five books out of all this stealing I'm doing. Wow. Wow. <laughs> hey, if it's anything like your last uh, book that you put together, Jim, with the, the draft history, that was amazing oh, work. Yeah. So oh, that's, yeah. that's going to be a must-have. Yeah. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate Definitely. it. Definitely. All right, guys, that's going to do it. We'll see you back here next week for episode Kendrell Bell, number 97. And it's the start of season four because the Super Bowl is over. So season four starts next week. Be here for that. Everybody have a great week. Roy, Jim, I'll see you guys soon. Thanks, boys. All right, take care.